Welcome to the Back 40 Leadership Podcast, Season 2, Episode 6. My name is Michael Bond, and I will be one of your hosts today. I am sitting here with pastors Colin McKnight. Hey, how's it going? And Todd Stanley. Good morning, good morning, or afternoon, or evening, or whenever you may be listening to this podcast. How's it going, guys? So real quick, before we jump in, I want to invite you to give this podcast a five-star rating and write us a review. We are on Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we are there. Also, share this on social media and tell your friends about it. Remember to subscribe at summitpodcast.church forward slash subscribe. This is the network where all of our Summit podcasts are distributed. Subscribing will allow you to receive email notifications every time we release new content here at Summit Church. Today, we are going to discuss pastoring in spiritually depressed areas. But before we get into that, let's discuss this week in church leadership. All right. Uh, do I go first? Go for it. All right. So... Uh, I came across this article, and uh, I thought it would be a good conversation starter for us. Um, it's nothing particularly crazy about the article. Uh, it's just it was an article about a church in, in uh, well, in Birmingham, so down in Alabama, um, that purchased a restaurant called Kale Me Crazy, but... Um, not that that really matters, <laughs> but, but anyway, uh, they, they purchased a restaurant and are going to be owning and operating this restaurant as a part of their ministry in the city. Uh, and business as ministry or business as mission is not necessarily a new thing, um, but I think especially for like rural church leaders, uh, this may be something that would be really good for them to explore because it could bring some economic development maybe to a smaller town. Uh, it gives another opportunity for outreach in their community. It provides, you know, there's just all kinds of things um, that it can kind of be a catalyst for. And so I thought I would throw that out there for you guys and see, what do you think about the idea of business as mission? Um, what do you think about churches entering into that? What are the, maybe the sticky points of that? Cause I know, you know, from a tax standpoint and that kind of thing, there can be questions, but uh, I'll just throw that out on the table and you guys share your thoughts. Wow. That's wild. Um, so yeah, this is not anything new. Obviously we've seen churches have like jump parks, like tra trampoline parks or, um, you know, start businesses. Um, the sticky thing that I think like with this is what a huge distraction this could be. And especially if you're not the right person to lead a business, uh, man, you could just get yourself into a lot of trouble and end up spending your time again, taking care of tax stuff and taking yeah. care of business things that can distract you from sharing the gospel, what you're there, you know, initially for, but I, I think it takes a really specific person to be able to balance that. Um, what do you think, Michael? Yeah, I'm seeing these uh, pop up more and more, uh, in particular coffee shops. I've seen a couple of coffee yeah. shops here, even in here in Pennsylvania, that double as like a, a Bible study slash small group. Some might even call it church uh, at night. You know, they'll flip the whole room, they'll set yeah. up tables. And I think that these are coming up by necessity, uh, I think that church planning is becoming more difficult for people. And so they think, well, if we have an additional revenue stream and something that we do during the day in terms of business, then we can fund our church. Also, um, the, the two dangers, uh, I would say would be a having the right person Colin. you touched on this, like human resources would be an issue there because 
are you a business person or are you a pastor or are you a pastor who is also a business person? Because a business person could do really well under that model who is not a very good pastor. And so then you would have maybe a situation where some false teaching would show up or people would be led astray. Uh, Or maybe you have a pastor who's not particularly uh, well-versed in business and trying to operate a business, which is a whole nother arena. Um, And so maybe we can talk about the reasons why uh, church planters are finding this hybrid model necessary. Uh, And uh, the other danger I should say would be uh, people attending these hybrids in place of the local church. I don't know if the hybrid setup can achieve everything in terms of spiritual development and uh, volunteering and giving of yourself back to the community that the, that the local church is able to do. What are your thoughts on that? Can they, can they be a fully functional church? Uh, I think they can be. Um, and I, I mean, I think there are a couple different models that, that we maybe could wrestle with, but if you're talking about, you know, like a coffee shop style business as mission model where they use that venue for meetings and for church and that kind of thing, I, th- I think it can be a fully functioning church um, if it's if it's done well and done right. So, for example, if the coffee shop weren't open on Sunday, right, and they actually have a full-fledged service, and I've, I've had friends who planted in that way, um, you know, and then uh, obviously by the there will come a point at which you will outgrow that space, hopefully, right? Outgrow that venue. Could be a really big coffee shop, just saying. Yeah. And so, but once you outgrow that venue, then you have you have other issues and questions to, to deal with. But I think it can be a fully functioning church in that way. Um, and even, you know, you don't have to have a space to meet in necessarily to go and do outreach in your community. And so, like, from a from a throughout the week standpoint, the the venue is really of little consequence. There are plenty of portable churches and things like that who operate without a, 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 a meeting space during the week that are utilizing coffee shops and whatever else, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I think it can be. Uh, I think the second thing is that uh, outside of the idea of using it as a church planter, like this church in Birmingham, for example, that they purchased a restaurant to you know as part of their um their ministry and what if uh, there's a video attached to the article then they interviewed the pastor and he was talking about this is a predominantly um african-american church and so what they want to do he said there's there's very little opportunity availability for healthy food options in um in the black community right in 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 those areas of the city that are maybe a little more economically depressed or, you know, whatever else, there's just not, there's not food availability there, at least healthy food options. And so for them as a church, one of the things that they said is we can serve our community by creating healthy food options in these communities. And so then it provides an opportunity for outreach. Mm -hmm. And so that's a little bit different model. Mm -hmm. And so as a church planter, you may be looking at something like, okay, this can be something that can help sustain our church, right? We can can afford a venue if we're using that venue as business throughout the week. Mm -hmm. The other model is if you're an established church, let's say you're a pastor in a, a small community and you go, what's a need that's in our community that we can meet by opening a small business? 
and then use that as a, a way of serving the community. And it just happens because you're you you're utilizing a business model, it sustains itself and it's not something that the church has to just funnel money into because you may not have that kind of budget. But if mm-hmm. it's a self-sustaining kind of thing, then you can um, create something that you know can, can grow on its own. Mm-hmm. And then even beyond that, once you get to a place where that business is turning a profit, so to speak, you can then take the, the revenue that that business is, is creating and invest that into into your community as well. Mm-hmm. And so there, those are the kind of questions I think you have to. I don't, I don't want to sound overly critical. I mean, obviously, this church has decided and and got approval from their body or their board uh, to move forward with that. So I don't want to sound critical um, of what they're doing. But there there are some sides to it. Again, I for me personally, that just seems like a lot more danger. Now, if you're if you're adding value to your community. Um, you know, one of the decisions you have to make is, is this something that we are leveraging our church budget towards because it adds so much value to the community? Then let's just do it. Let's just offer that. Or, um, you know, does it benefit the community if people come into like, for say this restaurant or um, even like a a coffee house or whatever? um, Are we making them cover the costs for this? But what are the additional costs? Um, People, product, um, uh, just this revenue source. It's, it's a man, that's just such a sticky area. Like that's so gray. I'm not really sure if you're so again, like a food desert situation, like, like it sounds like this, I think that's what they call them food deserts, like in a community. Yeah. Um, if you had somebody in your church that said, Hey, I'm a restaurant owner and I'm a successful, you know, um, you know, at this, then, then let me offer this as my service to the church, man, that's, that's great. You've got one of the most pivotal uh, elements of that is the person with know-how. Um, but man, that conversations down the way, you have to communicate over and over again what your purpose is and what your end goal is, mm-hmm. just like anything you would in the church. Um, man, that would get exhausting. Yeah, I think the, the big question ends up being, what is the business doing with the profits? Like that it's, it, so like, if, if it's using the profits to uh, start new locations, like new restaurants, new places, I love the idea of meeting like the practical need in that way. Because if someone doesn't have food, like that's quickly going to rise to the very top of their priority right. list. I mean, even more so than attending church, even more so than spiritual concerns. They won't, they won't feel the importance of the spiritual concerns as much as they're going to feel the importance of the need for food. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think ultimately... Uh, in determining whether or not it is ethical, we could say, would be like what's happening with the profits, what's happening with the the revenue that it's generating. Because then if you're doing something, if you're leveraging the profits to um, do even more good, then you could justify uh, the business model over something that's just pure charity. Yeah. Well, if your end goal is profit. I mean, again, if, if your end goal is we're adding value and we're okay with this amount of loss, I mean, restaurants operate on loss, you know, chain restaurants do all the time and they they kind of figure out how to, how to make it work. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, again, establishing your end goal, I think is super important. Yeah. Well, and I was going to say too, that, you know, uh, this isn't just a question as far as how monies are utilized, isn't just a question for businesses mission. I mean, we see unfortunately, in the church all the time where funds uh, are misused, misappropriated, where there are problems. Um, 
And so that's, to me, an integrity issue that has to be addressed well before you decide whether you're going to be business as mission. Um, the business as mission question really becomes more, to me, an idea of what is God calling us to? How can we meet needs in our community? And do we have the resources to do it, right? Which human resource not being the least of those. For, for most of us as pastors, like I know for me, I don't have the bandwidth or the time or the space to run a small business in addition to the things that I do as a pastor, right? And so you have to ask those questions as well um, and, um, and figure those things out. And if you're going into it for the idea of turning a profit, well, to me, as a, as a church leader, you're, you're, you're going into it with the wrong question in mind anyway. Uh, now, that doesn't mean that you don't need to count the cost and that it doesn't need to be self-sustaining. I think that the, the Scripture is clear that if we're going to build a tower, you know, that we should count the cost. We're gonna, you know, so we need to know what we're looking at, and we need to know whether that business model is self-sustaining, whether it's going to be able to, to accomplish the thing that we're wanting it to accomplish. Um, but profit should not be be the question that we're asking. Sure. And this could be highly effective. I mean, it is, um, you look at the world, like world missions models that, um, you know, where you send people into sensitive countries and they're, um, uh, experts in tourism in that area. First of all, they're not from there, but yeah, sure. They start up uh, a touring company or they start up a tea house or they start up uh, a coffee shop where they can, uh, offer conversation and people can learn English or whatever language. Um, yeah. and you know, that model seems to work to add value and to start conversations. And so, I mean, is it successful? Sure. Um, but again, to the limit of the vision and the people involved. Yeah. I mean, you need to know what God's calling you to do as a church leader or as a, as a church community and all those kinds of things. But, um, I think that, Anytime we can leverage opportunities like that to increase our reach and to to bring the gospel to bear on people's lives, that we need to do that, uh, or you know, prayerfully consider that. Maybe I should say it that way. And we also need to recognize that look, this is a model that is as old as the church itself. Paul was a tent maker, mm, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he was working, making tents as a means of funding the ministry. He even talks about it in those terms. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so we need to understand that this is not by any means a new concept. Uh, And Paul advocated it as well as advocating that other churches support the work of the ministry. So there's, we see both of Mm -hmm. those things, um, you know, in the scriptures themselves. It's just a matter of what, what God is calling us to do. Yeah, I mean that that seals it for me. Like I'm thinking about that example that Paul uh, shows us, definitely. Um, and it, it might be the case that as churches begin to lose tax exempt status, that this kind of thing becomes more necessary. That churches having to function as businesses, or at least take on more uh, principles that businesses have. Yeah, because you know the businesses have been operating under under tax, you know, since there's been a tax. Yeah. Um, okay, so we. 
Together for Christ is uh, like a reformed evangelical conference, a pretty big one. I think like 3,000 people. Um, Albert Moeller is uh-huh. the founder of it. Yep. And they're going to stop meeting. Like it's, it's, and, I, and the way it's described, uh, Together for Christ, the conference was always meant to be finite. It wasn't supposed to go on forever. Some people have speculated that uh, the idea of the big Christian conferences is going to become harder and harder to pull off because of the divisions caused by political ideology. <laughs> and so my question for you is, do you think that the church is entering into an age where the gathering, like the conference, uh, is becoming maybe not the most ideal thing for churches to be doing in terms of unity? Uh, do you think that... Do you think we have too many conferences? Like, do you think that there's too many on offer? Do you think that that's like the the highest goal of like a a, a church network or a, or a uh, for a church to have its own conference? Like, do you think that that's something that too many bigger churches are trying to achieve just for the sake of being able to say that they have one? Like, what, what's your thoughts on the conference? Wow, talk about mixing business with nonprofit um, conferences. There's so much money that goes into that. You know, merchandise sales, ticket sales. But then also the cost of venue and production, um, man, that's, uh, <laughs> what's my opinion going to really change someone's mind if they've already invested in something so great like that? Um, I'm going to start with the perspective of, no, I don't think that the church is any more divided today, uh, according to political ide- ideology, you know, um, than it has throughout history. Um, uh, again, I Again, that was part of the, the question to begin with. I, I think we just see it more often. We just pass the microphone better <laughs> now. Uh, everybody can put out a mean tweet or be critical of another believer in their thoughts about the smallest, most ridiculous things. Um, but conferences, I mean, they're either successful, I mean, depending on how you measure it, but they're sustained by ticket sales and by merch sales and by people being involved. So in that mindset, the consumer is going to decide whether a conference continues. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I almost named a few, but just depending, I mean, some of these that I was greatly influenced, um, you know, early on in my walk with Christ um, don't exist anymore. The big men's conferences, you know, where they brought in athletes and, you know, uh, you know, filled stadiums full of men um, all over the United States and, and parts of the world all over, but um, they su- cease to exist uh, based on kind of, Again, uh, ticket sales are down, and then administratively, they just couldn't continue that. So I think conferences will rise and fall like individual ones, but I, I don't think we're out. Like, I don't think we can see the end of those yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think the church will look very different as we move forward um, because our world will look very different. And the church has always had to adapt and change with culture. Now, the gospel should never change, right? (laughs) The message should never change, but the methodologies always change. Um, You know, I'm I'm not going to prognosticate about conferences or, you know, whether they'll be around or whether they won't. I think Colin's right. Some of them will fade. Others will, will... you know, other new ones will start. Some will, you know, some will continue. Who knows how that will go? Um, I think, I think we'll see a trend of, and here I go prognosticating. I guess uh, <laughs> here but we go. I see. I think we'll see a trend of of conferences being online um, as 
as being able to engage with other people online uh, becomes easier. You know, uh, I think that it's, I think that we'll see those kinds of things happening, uh, both because the the cost of doing something is so much less online, and because because our world is increasingly online. So I think we'll see things like that. So like large groups of people gathered in a single room, we may see less of that, but large groups of people gathering to discuss ideas, that's never going to go away. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think conferences are, I mean, a lot of them come up, come about because there's a need, right? Yeah. Either you have uh, a message or you have a community that's underserved a region um, like for instance, doing a large women's conference in Southwestern Pennsylvania, like, okay, so what does that look like? What is your goal? Okay. And okay. So we've reached this many people and there's still a need or, you know, often we don't get a speaker to this region or, you know, this caliber yeah. of teaching or resources given and okay. So we need a bigger place. I think, you know, naturally that happens as need, or if there's a, um, a certain teaching or teacher, um, that, you know, has a following and says, Hey, I want to reach this particular group, but I need to offer more room. That just, it just happens Yeah, online. I mean, as the need grows, like you can reach more people online than you can in person. I mean, come on. And theoretically, theoretically, if, yeah, if they participate, right? right. Um, but then, you know, as people need the resource, the resource will, you know, yeah. hopefully be provided by people that can offer it. Well, and just from a practical standpoint, as long as pastors and churches are wrestling with the challenges of emerging culture, there will be a need for us to gather and wrestle mm-hmm. through those conversations together. Uh, there will always be someone who um, has insight or wisdom or God has gifted in a particular area that people will want to hear from. I mean, those things aren't going to go away. Mm -hmm. Uh, What it looks like may change, but like, you know, um, we're not going to stop trying to learn from one another anytime soon. I hope. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And I think that, um, and we probably touched on this, but like when you have multiple um, high profile in demand thought leaders meeting to discuss about something, you're going to get a conference as a, as a consequence of that, like people are just going to show up. And, and so definitely like that sense making apparatus is super important. And I hope that it stays around also. Okay. So let's dive into our topic for today, which is uh, a discussion of pastoring in spiritually depressed areas. So let's be careful here. I'm, I am saying spiritually depressed areas. So these are areas which would be, um, known maybe for their godlessness. And, uh, the question is, and and it might be an area where the return on investment is like, obviously not going to be good. Um, should churches try to plant in these areas? Because on the one hand, it seems obvious. Yes, we should, because like we need to, we need to go to the lost, but with the way we do church here in the West, uh, do you think that churches plant in these areas very often and why or why not? And is it a wise idea for a church to try to plant in an area like this? What do you think? Do I think churches plant in those kind of areas very often? No. Uh, do I think we should be? Yes. Uh, I think, 
unfortunately, the question, the like, even the way the question is couched assumes that the way we're doing things in the West is right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would argue that we do some things really well, but we do some things really wrongly. Mm-hmm. Um, one of which is that in, in our conversation already today has considered some of these things. Uh, one of which is that we, we run the church as a business a lot of times. Um, and, and not that, not that we don't have to count the cost. I mean, we talked about that already, that the scripture is clear that if we're going to build something, we need to count the cost of that. Um, but the financial cost is not the only cost we should be counting. We need to count the cost in terms of, you know, the spiritual impact. We need to count the cost in terms of, you know, the souls that are there. What are we willing, you know, what are we willing to lose in order that someone else might gain? Um, and so oftentimes we avoid not just spiritually depressed areas, right? We, We've not done a good job of planting in economically depressed areas. We've not done a good job of planting in areas where there is population decline, right? Because it's 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 much easier to build a church in a place that uh, is growing economically, that's growing in population, where young families are, all those kinds of things. It's much easier to plant and grow a church in those areas. Um, that ignores the fact that there are people who need Jesus in economically depressed areas, in areas where the population may be dwindling, in areas where the spiritually it's just harder, right? Where there's an antagonism toward the gospel, and um, you know, and so we need to we need to address those things. We need to look at those things. I think one of the things that we can do is go ahead and plant in that area that's growing and financially like you know, vibrant and all those kinds of things. There's nothing wrong with planting in those places. God calls people into those places. But what we need to do then is leverage the resources and the the things that those churches have to invest in these other places where the ground is harder to till. Mm-hmm. Um, and so th- I think those are the conversations that we need to have around that. Well, I think you hit it right there. Um, God calls people to plant in certain places. I think that should be the very beginning of any church planting strategy. Not, hey, our church in the next 10 years wants to have 10 locations and reach 20,000 people. Like, I, I, you know, if that's just strictly from man, if that's just strictly yeah. from... That's not a bad goal. A, a really good... Vi- yeah, it's a great... Yeah, sure. What kind of influence could you have with 20,000 people in 10 locations in 10 years? But establishing the fact that, okay, this is the model. We seek God. We seek to be obedient to what God calls us to do. We do it. Like, so whether God's calling you to uh, a suburb uh, of a city because the city is sprawling out and there's an unreached area, there's not churches or there's not an influence there, or if God's calling you into the inner city or into, you know, an area very specifically, I think it's upon the leadership to say, we've sought after God and his, what he's called us to do. He spoke. And now we're being obedient. So, mm-hmm. and once you are into that place, there's no question. Should we give 100% to this? Should we go all out to this? Like that is a very clear way to cast vision 
and, and encourage other people in their own personal life within the church. Like if you think discipleship, like seek God when he speaks, be obedient, whatever he's called you to do. And so like, yeah, you could really set yourself up well to locate yourself where funds are, are good and where there's nice housing developments and things like that. But man, your light shines where God calls you to, to shine it. I mean, that's, yeah. that's mm-hmm. really, you know, where it is now, as far as areas that are um, spiritually depressed or have a real, like a, a dark side to it, um, don't just go running into them. I mean, the gospel doesn't go out void, but if God's not calling you there, then you do yourself just as bad of a disservice to go there anyway. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think it has a lot to do with yeah. listening and obeying. There's two really interesting ideas nested in this conversation. And the one is that churches have missionaries and churches send missionaries to hostile foreign countries and places sure. where like you would typically not want to spread the gospel unless you're very brave or called to do it. So do you think then that churches need a class of specialist, maybe, maybe like a revivalist or somebody who is uh, trained at restoring difficult communities or at least knows how that process, what that process would look like. I mean, I think we, we need to do our best to make sure that people are equipped for the work that God is calling them to. Um, We don't send missionaries to a foreign country, for example, without helping them to learn the culture, helping them to learn the language, doing all of those things to help, you know, um, empower and equip them for the work that God's calling them to. So certainly we we need to do those things. Um, having said that, uh, I don't think that we can always rely on the work of a specialist, so to speak, uh, to, to spread the gospel. Um, we have to recognize that God uses everyday, ordinary people uh, to do an extraordinary things, and um, that if we always are going, well, this seems like the most likely candidate, then we may miss out on something, you know, and so there's discernment that has to be there, uh, and so I think there, we, there has to be a, a dual approach where mm-hmm. we where we do our very best to equip people for the work that God is calling them to. Um, but we also just have a level of discernment where we go, you know what? Hey, this person doesn't seem like the most likely candidate, but man, God is doing something here. And so we're going to, we're going to get behind that and and do our best to, you know, to, to support what we see God at work doing there. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think one of the most sustaining principles, whether it's foreign missions um, or, or local missions is establishing rapport with um, locals, with people that are actually from that region, yeah. establishing relationship and then empowering them as the Lord transforms their life to do the work of that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, my wife and I support um, some friends of ours that are missionaries in close countries, um, actually three different close countries, but um, their only job there in these countries is to establish a relationship with a few people that are local, maybe already believers or brand new believers or to bring them to Christ and then empower them. Yeah. Their end goal is never for me to come from the West and establish a Western church. Mm. That's not their goal. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, you know, they're not going to become pastors of an international church there or anything like that. Their goal is to get there, 
maintain a relationship, offer resource to people that are locally who know best mm-hmm. that territory and how to share the gospel there. And for church planting too, um, we're in a unique season right now of planting a church in a spiritually depressed location, my wife and I and some of our team. And the best way, the, the stories that we hear already, the testimonies are people that attend that church who grew up in that town whose lives are radically changed by Christ and they're reaching the people they know in that mm-hmm. area. Yeah. It's not me coming in from another state. Hey, I know this model and this is what's going to work and this is what we're going to do and I'm going to bring everyone to Christ. It's establishing it in local people and, and discipling your people, the church in general, we could all do a better job of discipling each one of our people saying, hey, listen, this is not about the pastor on stage. This is not about whoever's you know writing the book that you're reading. It's about you and about God working in you and working through you wherever you are, whether that's at work, in your home, at the coffee shop, and empowering people to be missionaries where they are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd, uh, I almost said I don't want to over-spiritualize this, but he- here's the thing. Do I, it. Number one, we should never say that. We cannot over-spiritualize something. We believe that God sovereignly directs the activities of his people. We believe that God calls us sometimes to do things that don't make sense. We believe that we serve a God who is not confined by space and time or financial concerns or any of those kinds of things. And so over-spiritualize it by all means right? If that's even possible. (laughs) What I'm trying to say is spend time with God in prayer and listen to what he's calling you to do and then go and do it. And it may not make any sense to anybody around you. It may not even make sense to you initially, right? But we're called to obedience and to go and to do the things that God is calling us to do. Um, and know that he goes with us. You know, I often think of, um, is it, yeah, so Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, never had a single convert in his ministry, right? Uh, in fact, God's call to him was essentially, hey, Jeremiah, I want you to go and tell these people this. By the way, they're not going to listen. Mm-hmm. By the way, don't expect success, right? Just. Yeah. And amazingly, Jeremiah says, you got it. Mm-hmm. I'll go. Yeah. Right? Um, we don't see that a lot in modern church culture where we go, you know what? I'm going to go into this place where success is not only not guaranteed, but probably is not happening. But I'm going because I, I know God has called me there. I'm you, going to be, you know. You have to redefine success. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, and we 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 celebrate those kind of stories. Like, I, I can't remember the specifics of, of the story right now, but you've probably heard stories like this where a missionary is called into a particular place and they go and they labor for years and years and years and they have like one convert, right? And then they die only having had one convert. But that one person then transforms an entire region mm-hmm. because they're a local who understands the culture or because, you know, whatever the case may be. But by any human standard, we would not have measured that missionary's ministry as success except for hindsight. Mm-hmm. We're too, I can't say too worried, but we are maybe 
Well, maybe too worried. We're too worried sometimes about foresight. Right, yeah. And what can I predict? And, and, you know, our, like, from an economic standpoint, from a human numbers standpoint, from, we want to be able to have a predictive model, you know, and forecast all of these things. It gets, and I'm, and I'm not trying to downplay all of those tools. I'm just trying to say that sometimes that's not the measure of whether or not God's calling me to do something. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes, in spite of all those numbers, God is calling me to do something. Because sometimes that's what faith demands, yeah. that in spite of the fact that it looks like, a, you know, a suicide mission, so to speak, uh, I'm going anyway. And I'm believing that God's going to go with me. And, you know, I don't, I don't know why I feel like this conversation needs to go this way, other mm-hmm. than maybe some of you who are listening right now are looking at an impossible situation, but you feel strongly that God is calling you to it. And I would tell you that if you believe strongly that God is calling you to it, then go and do it. Um, because even if from a human standpoint, you never see success in that. If you are being obedient, God will, God rewards that, right? Mm -hmm. There's something that, that he'll, he'll develop in you. There's something maybe that one person that sees what you're doing, you know, who knows, who knows, but we, we can't, we can't measure everything in terms of metrics Mm -hmm. when it comes to serving God. We just can't. Consider Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8. Philip, not, Philip was nobody. Um, Philip, not Philip that we've heard of in the Bible previously. He was just a follower uh, in this new movement of Jesus. But he was called to do something very specific to someone who, because he was a eunuch, was not allowed to go into a temple to learn about God, but was trying and was seeking, sitting in his own carriage. And God, instead of calling Philip to do his own thing, God called him away from his normal path into, literally into this guy's carriage or whatever he was in to bring that to him. It was a very specific thing and, and led with a lot of details. And he was obedient. And a lot of the Ethiopian church today, they, they pull their lineage spiritually back to this moment. Who's Philip? We don't know. Like there, there's a little bit of conjecture about his life, but was he obedient? Yes. Did it make a difference? Yes. So again, like, like we said, like you said, like if God is calling you to something and you clearly hear his voice, be obedient. That's, that's the measure of a win right there. Yeah. Yeah. Obedience in that respect and having the faith, like particularly a church. So if a church uh, is the first one that has the faith to make like a huge investment in an area that is depressed, other, other businesses, other people are going to be encouraged by that. And that's going to make them want to invest too. So like it, it, it does seem to be the case that when people act on faith and whenever they, they take the leap that the whole paradigm can be flipped, you know, you might, the charts might not be showing any return at all. Uh, you know, but if you go and you do it, uh, yeah, you may not see the, you may not reap the harvest. Now you may find out you might, you may be rewarded later, but you may also, uh, completely defy all the expectations. And so like one of the things Colin that you said about the missionaries that I thought was interesting was that their expectations were managed. 
like, it's like, okay, this is what we're going to do. This is the win. Um, we're not going to set up a, a mega church in this area. We're not going to set up a church, maybe even a, a whole church, but we're just going to build relationships and disciple people. So like, how can uh, a church who wants to, or a pastor who wants to help a depressed area or a spiritually depressed area, how can they manage their expectations? Like going into it, what would you say to them would be some wise things to hold close, um, you know, in terms of defining the win? Number one, the win has to be obedience, right? Now, that doesn't mean that there may not be some other kind of things that we want to look at and measure in terms of, you know, I mean, we all want to see fruit from our ministry, right? I mean, no one, no one sets out to go, yeah, I don't want to reach anybody for Jesus, <laughs> right? I hope you didn't, because if if you did, there's a whole other set of questions there, about like, why are you in ministry? Um, but, but obedience should be our first priority. And beyond that, like, if, if, if I can, in, with a, with, clear conscience with clear eyes and a full heart say i am being obedient to what god has called me to do then um then everything else is secondary having said that i think there are some things that like if set set goals that um i don't want to say that are easy to reach but but that that are incremental, mm -hmm. you know, if you don't want to go, okay, you know, uh, we're going to build a church of however many people in, in this area and then not have any like steps of what it looks like to get to that place. Um, you know, I think, look, if I can develop a relationship with one person and see the gospel really make an impact on their life, see God do something in them. That's a win, right? And so, you know, I don't I don't want to oversimplify it, but I mean it 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 really is one person at a time. It really is. Right? You know, there's that old, you know, Colin, you've been around long enough, the whole each one reach one thing. Sure. It's that's really it. I mean, that really is it. It's not any harder than that. I mean, we're called to bear fruit. So multiplying means that you were faithful in what you did. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things I would encourage a pastor that's that's heard from God or is listening for God to speak, um, bring in wise counsel. Bring somebody that comes alongside you and can help you count wins that you can't even see. Not Not to just, you know build you up or anything. But uh, oftentimes I think you can get real focused on one thing and you have your set expectations, uh, but you need someone to come in with a fresh perspective and say, yeah. Hey, you know, this, this was a win. I, I don't think it completed what you wanted, but we're still moving forward in what God has called you to do. I, I wouldn't, again, once you've established that God has spoken to you about something, I, I don't think you need counsel on, okay, well, did God speak? But helping you with the win again, like if God's called you to something, man, go 100%. I mean, seek counsel, seek wisdom, people that have done something like this before in similar areas, build relationships with people that are doing something like what God is calling you to do by all means, not to question whether you've heard from God mm -hmm. or that you should, should or shouldn't be obedient, but 
so they can help you count wins and manage your expectation. Hey, man, I know you're getting really tired. And I, I know you want all these things to happen your first year or your first six months or, you know, in this time period. But, hey, pump the brakes a little bit and let's count the things that you can't see. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And recognize, too, that church does not have to look like uh, a Sunday gathering with a lot of large group of people sitting in straight rows in front of a stage with a band on it, and then a guy who gets up there and church doesn't have to look like that. There, there, that's there's nothing scripturally that says that that's the model for church. Um, you know, so like, and in fact, in in, in a lot of places in the world, church can't look like that, and yet the church is growing and people are being discipled anywhere that you have a group of people who are engaged in the mission of God and who gather together to study the Word of God, to worship, and to, you know, uh, and, you know to grow and to learn and then to bring that good news to other people. That's a church. Anywhere that's happening, yeah. regardless of how many people there are in that gathering. If, you know, and so... If you're going into an area where, you know, maybe maybe a, a, a large venue isn't even a possibility, right? Or where a really rural area where people live like miles from one another, you know, where like those things are a little more difficult. Well, be creative in that. Like, how can you gather a small group of people in a house and and you know and you you gather for worship and the study of God's word and teaching and and then you say okay how can we affect our neighbors how can we bring the gospel to the people that you know we we rub shoulders with that we you know that's a church that's a church um i think sometimes we well not sometimes we have fallen into the trap in western culture of thinking that it has to look like a mega church or it has to you know look a particular way in order for it to be successful or in order for it to be something that, you know, that, that God's really paying attention to. Um, look, God is not any more impressed by the, the 15,000 member church on Sunday than he is by the 20 member church on Sunday. God is not impressed with our numbers right? God is concerned with our faithfulness. And so, like, we've just got to forget about those types of measurement in terms of what it means to be serving God and being effective and successful in the ways that, in the places God has called us to be. Like, you know, um, Shalakta, Pennsylvania will never have a church of probably 300 right? That's as many people as there are in the town, right? It's, it's probably not going to happen because even if it did, you know, there's that old joke about the guy who's stranded on a deserted island and they find him and, uh, you know, and he's like, this is the house that I built and this is my church. And they're like, well, what's that empty building over there? Well, that's the church I used to go to, right? There's only one guy <laughs> on the island, you know? And so we, <laughs> um, we need to forget about those kinds of measurements, 
Yeah. You mentioned something about the mega church. And if I can just reach out to like my brothers in Christ who are trying to do, or brothers and sisters in Christ who are trying to establish something where there may be uh, a larger church or uh, a community of believers who has greater resources, don't be distracted by that and yeah. don't be put off by that because there are things that um, vision uh, of, of a, a larger group or a mega church um, can really get in the way or uh, hinder them in a smaller community. Um, if, you are a, uh, if you are in a neighborhood and God has established you there, you're there for a reason. If yeah, God absolutely. puts something on your heart, like he's speaking specifically to you, don't wait until, um, you know, your, your other, your friend at this other church with these, you know, twice as many resources and, you know, three times as many people um, until they come around to the idea. Um, no, he's called you to do it. Uh, there, there are some areas, um, some smaller communities, some subcultures where a, a large church or a church with a, a, a marketed name it cannot yeah. be established. It's just, it does not fit uh, mm. that area. So don't be, don't be hindered by that. In the parable of the talents, the servant was not condemned because he had fewer talents than the other servants. He was condemned because he didn't do anything with what had been mm. placed in his hands. Mm-hmm. Right? That's what we're going to be called into account for. That's what we're going to stand before God and have responsibility for is what he placed in your hands. So stop comparing what you have in your hands with what somebody else has in their hands. Stop saying, if I only had that, then I could do something. Mm -hmm. Look, what what do you have in your hand? And what are you doing with that? Like, you know, man, comparison, it just kills us. It just kills us. And so rather than asking, what can I do here where God has placed me? We, we go, man, if I could only be there, you know, and, and God's not going to, God's not going to hold you accountable for, for what Hillsong has, right? Or what, you know, that church down the street from you that, you know, God's not going to hold you accountable for them. He's going to hold you accountable for what he's called you to do and what he's placed in your hands. You know, I'm not going to stand before God and answer for anybody else except Todd. And uh, and the reality is, for most of us, if we're looking at what somebody else is doing, it's because we don't want to wrestle with the fact that I'm not being a good steward of what's in my hand already. Mm-hmm. So both of you, and we can we can close on this, but both of you are on staff at a medium to large large side large sized church that has planted in a smaller area. And so speaking to leaders of medium to large sized churches who are seeking to plant in a smaller area, what are some steps that you've taken to uh, be able to successfully scale down that operation to where like the culture is maintained and maybe like the quality is maintained? Can you speak into uh, what it looks like for a medium to large sized church to go to a place that is smaller? Like specifically, what ways can they maintain uh, I hate to say the brand, but like, you know what I mean? Like the, 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 the vision, the DNA of the larger site, how does that get translated? What are some challenges that you've struggled with? And like, what are some steps that you've taken, uh, to help ensure that that remains connected to the, to the larger entity? And I tell you what, will you ask that to like a few people that have done this more than I have? So then I can just listen to their answer, please. Uh, because I think when you mentioned like what's been the struggle, I'm like, there's a lot more struggles than there are successes. Um, 
Wow, that's, that's a lot to that question. Um, how, how can you add value to a community? Um, I, I think that's first and foremost should be your focus. Like, okay, God's called us here. How can we add value? You start there, but then you hold on to elements of your culture, like excellence. That's something that we value here. And we talk a lot about what that looks like. You can operate in excellence anywhere. You can operate in, first, excellence starts with self-discipline, right? Personally, if I'm not operating with excellence at some point in my own personal walk, my own personal life, my own home, I can't lead other people to excellence. Um, And there are a lot of very large churches that don't do excellence very well for some reason that they've just been able to grow. Um, But yeah, you can do excellence anywhere, whether you have five people coming together or it's you at your home uh, establishing a home church or yeah. So excellence is something you can scale. Yeah. Uh, I think first, the first thing you have to do is be comfortable with the idea that it's going to be different. It is going to be different. It's going to be a whole different group of people, right? There, there's going to be different personalities involved. The community that you're planting in is going to be different. Um, and so the needs of that community and uh, the makeup of that community are going to define in a lot of ways what that location looks like. And, and of course, we're specifically talking about planting a satellite location. If you're planting a church, that's a whole different thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but from a DNA standpoint, I think, number one, you you send people who understand the vision and the mission that you're going for, right? Um, like for us, you know, healthy relationships is a high value for us, right? So, uh, so we, so Colin, and I'll just speak to this, right? Colin is our campus pastor at our Blairsville location. Uh, he was chosen for that role because he's a person who's highly relational. He lives out that value of healthy relationships. So you send somebody who embodies those values. You send somebody who understands the vision that you have and who who lives that out and who's bought into that. Like, um, you know, if you're if you're planting a church, for example, where like, okay, if, even if it's a satellite, but there's going to be live teaching, right? Then, then the the things that you're looking for there may be different than what you'd be looking for at a video venue. You have to ask those kinds of questions. Um, you know, and maybe we're getting a little into the weeds and maybe I'm straying a little bit from the question that you're asking. I think the way, maybe, and I'll just try to go back and kind of drill into that. And the way that you ensure that you are communi- that you are keeping that DNA, that culture in place, is number one, you send someone to lead that location who understands the culture, who's bought into the culture. Number two, you consistently communicate vision. Uh, I mean, that's the only way that you create culture in the first place is that you consistently communicate it and embody it for those that you are leading. And so you have to continue to do that. Keep that out in front. Um, You know, look, just in terms of church in general, we can see how it's easy for a church to drift away from the core of the gospel if they don't keep Jesus front and center. 
mm-hmm. right? Yeah, keep it simple. Yeah, and, and so it's easy for us to like drift into kind of self-help. And here's four principles for good parenting, and, and not that there's anything wrong with that, right? But but some it's easy for us to drift into that being the the focus rather than because if we don't consistently communicate that this is about what Christ has done. This is about the gospel. This is about, you know, uh, and it's it's the same is true in, in any kind of value that we want to communicate. We have to keep it front and center. And so I think that's part of how you do that. And then be comfortable with the fact that it's going to look a little bit different in Mm -hmm. every different location because it's different people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you're establishing a, a second location or a multiple locations or even establishing a new church that is being supported by another church, um, you need to guard culture very carefully. Um, there's going to be a shared culture, possibly, if you're a second location or multiple location, and you want to guard that. Um, but then there's going to be a unique culture where you are. So that, that's that been something we've been careful about um, where we are. And um, I don't think we've got it perfect, but we're establishing that slowly. I mean, the shared culture is already solid, mm-hmm. the things that we value um, and what our mission is. Uh, but as far as community relations, I would encourage like just slowing down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, stay centered on the gospel, but let the Lord speak to you. Again, we're going back to this obedience, but let the Lord reveal to you the things to get involved with. There are a lot of issues where we are planting right now. There is a lot of social things. There's a, a several huge needs. And as God reveals those things to us, we have to carefully and slowly, methodically go through those and say, yeah. is this something that you're calling us to get involved with? Is this one of the things that is going to become part of our identity as a location, as a church? Our, our model um, is that you know we would plant a location, but not always to be a location of Summit Church. Right. This will be its own church eventually in this community. So um, we're going to establish things, principles um, from the beginning that are that are good for a church in general. Excellence. Um, again, we value healthy relationships, radical generosity, um, creative evangelism. Like that's, those are things that we value that any church I think would benefit from. So, but yeah, balancing shared culture and unique culture for that. Yeah. Location. And, and, you know, we've been, we've been talking for, for a little while now. And so I don't want to like belabor the conversation, but I do want to maybe try to bring it, um, bring some practical things in, not only for, you know, people who may be looking at planting in a new location or that kind of thing, but hopefully bring, bring some value to people who are, you know, well, who are pastoring right now and asking questions like this. Um, I think there are some practical things like we've number one, um, what's your building look like that communicates value. Like, it, it, when we planted in Blairsville, for example, we wanted when people walked into that location for it to feel as much as possible like our Indiana location. Like this is a summit church. Like there's, and 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 that communicates something to people, right? There's a particular feeling that you have because it's it's more casual, it's more laid back, it's it feels kind of modern, it feels you know all those kind of things, and we can we could dismiss those if we wanted to. Uh, but the fact of the matter is that creates something like you decorate your home in a particular way because you are communicating a value. 
right? You're communicating, you know, am I rustic? Am I modern? Am I, you know, uh, am I a mess? Right. You're, you're (laughs) communicating, you're communicating your personality. And there's, it just, there's nothing wrong with that. That, that, that's what it is. Um, but for some of you, you want your church to be a completely different personality than what it is currently decorated as. And, um, and it communicates something, right? You, it's, it's hard for people to feel relaxed if they walk into a place that doesn't, that feels very formal, Right, and so if you're wanting to be welcoming and inviting and open, then then if they're walking into a place that feels very formal, you're already like shooting yourself in the foot, so to speak. Uh, and so ask those kinds of questions: What is it that I want people to to feel when they come here? What is it that I want their experience to be like? Um, you know, uh, yeah how how can I you know, communicate who we are from the very outset. How does my building communicate that? How do how do we communicate that as a people? Uh, like, you know, one of the things that we do at our locations every week uh, when we meet with our team prior to the service is talk about how that someone who's alone in our in our gathering is an emergency, and that our friends can wait, <laughs> and that we want to connect those alone people to somebody that you know, and and help them to meet people. Right? That communicates value, and it, it takes some effort, but it's again like, why are we here? And, and so, um, all of that to say, those are the kinds of questions that you have to ask. What is it? Who who are we, and how can we communicate that to people in everything that we do, uh, and then make the changes necessary to do that? Um, and for some of you, that may mean navigating committee meetings and, and all of those kinds of things. And I know that those can be difficult conversations to have, but lead with boldness and, and communicate vision um, more often than not. Mm-hmm. people will come alongside and follow someone who has a compelling vision. Not 100% of the time, right? There are always going to be those who just are mired in this is the way we've always done it. Um, but, man, I would say 90, 99% of the time, if you have a compelling vision, that voice will be the minority. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, great insight from Colin McKnight and Todd Stanley on moving churches into difficult areas. They have the experience, they have the wisdom, and you have the opportunity to rate and review this podcast wherever you are. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to the Back 40 podcast, and we will see you in the next episode.